If you would please turn with me to Genesis chapter 17 in your Bibles. There was a man who left a big city and went on a journey. The city was high and on a mountain, and as he left, he traveled through some dangerous places. When he traveled through, the danger of those places came to fruition for him because he found himself attacked. The man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and robbers jumped out. They attacked him, they robbed him, and they beat him. And they left him for dead. And as he was laying there on the side of the road, there was a person that came by. Thankfully, someone came by. This person was a religious leader. This person was a priest. And when they saw the man who had been beaten and who had been robbed, that person crossed to the other side of the street and continued to pass. A little while later, another person came along. It was another religious person. This person was what we call a Levite, one who studied the Scriptures. And this person, when they saw the man had been beaten and saw the danger, he moved on quickly and did not help the man. And then a third person came along. This third person saw the man who had been robbed, and he quickly went over to him. He treated his wounds, and then he wrapped them with bandages And then this third person put the injured man on his own animal, and he took him to the nearest town. He got a room at the inn there, and he took care of him so he could get healthy again, and this man had to leave. But before he left, he said, whatever expenses occurred in helping him get better, add that to my account. And he left. This story is one that we cannot escape when we travel around the world. If you go to any major nation, you will find the word Samaritan on hospitals and in organizations. If you travel to any major city in the United States, you will find the impact of this story. And even with the Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes that we're filling right now, written upon every box, thousands and thousands of boxes that will go all around the world is the word Samaritan. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus Christ, when He first told this story, He was giving it in response. There was a lawyer who was talking to Jesus, and He asked this question. He said, how can I know for sure that I have eternal life? Do you think that's a good question? How can I know that I have eternal life? And yet it's surprising that with the question this man asked, the Son of God Himself, how can I have eternal life? Jesus Christ does not give the answer that maybe you would have given. He chooses to take the man down a journey. He uses the uh, question and answer formula that we get from Socrates. So the man asked Jesus a question. And Jesus says, well, how do you read the law? So he turns it back into a question on him. And the man gives an answer, the lawyer does. He says, well, the way I read it is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, perfect, you nailed it. That's exactly what you should be doing. But the man doesn't stop there. 
he presses Jesus a little bit further. And he says, well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus launches into this story of the Good Samaritan. And what's curious about the ending of that parable is that when Jesus tells this story of the Good Samaritan, how this one went and he helped someone, someone who was in need, the difficulty for the man receiving it was the one that was doing good, the one that was helping his neighbor was one that was hated. A Samaritan was looked down upon in Jesus' day. They were, they were half-breeds. They were individuals that were, that were dirty. And the Jewish people wouldn't even consider talking to them. And now Jesus puts this man in the place where the good example is the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. And then Jesus puts a little bit of salt in the wounds at the end, and he tells the man, go and do the same. When we think of those words that I believe are a challenge for us today, go and do the same, what did Christ mean by that? Was this man to go and to plant himself between Jerusalem and Jericho and help out any people that found themselves attacked or in need? Is that what Jesus meant by saying that? Is that what Jesus means for you and I? It's interesting that Jesus is asked about eternal life and his answer that he leads the man to is love God and love others. What we'll see in God's Word today is that God has always wanted more from his people than simple external conformity. And that's what we want. Years ago, I had a, a friend who came to Christ, and he was new to all of this. And so he just said, give, give, me, the, give me the main things I've got to do. What's the, what's the big ten, if you will, that I've got to do now that I follow Jesus Christ? He wanted an external, external set of rules to keep. And God wants us to have more than just keeping some rules, but God wants us to know Him and as a result to love Him. And then God wants us to love our fellow man because of how we love him. Now, we're in Genesis chapter 17, and what I'm going to use is the second half of this chapter to launch us into a Bible theme that we have not covered since I've been at Calvary, and that is the theme of the circumcision of the heart. We're going to read through the entire text, and we already began talking about circumcision and Abram when his name was changed to Abraham, and we'll see right away Sarai's name is changed to Sarah. There are some outward things that are going on in this idea of circumcision, which is a picture of God's promise, is something that the Word of God continues to talk about. But it talks about the circumcision of our hearts. It talks about it in the Torah. It talks about it throughout the Scriptures. God not only wants a circumcision, but He wants a circumcision of your and I's innermost being. Let's read through this section, and then we'll launch off into talking about purity of our heart. Starting in verse 15, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. 
I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When God had finished talking to him, God went up from Abraham. And then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, uh, or, or bought with his money, every male among Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and the men of his house, those born in his house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. We spent time last time talking about circumcision, this outward picture of this promise. We related it to, do you remember the picture that we use today in churches? When someone is changed, we use the picture of baptism. Baptism does not get someone eternal life. That cannot get you to heaven. But what it does is it tells other people, I'm a follower of Jesus. I am one who has accepted Christ as my Savior. So you're sharing that picture with other people. Today we're going to talk about a circumcision of the heart. That's a strange kind of verbiage, isn't it? If you're taking notes, you should just write down purity of the heart. God requires a purity of the heart in His sons and His daughters. The idea is that we'll follow Him with all of our heart. In this journey of going after God, if we want to have this idea of going after God with all of our heart, we have to ask a couple questions. And that's what we're going to focus on today. To point us to purity... I want, us to ask the, I want us to ask the questions, what is it that God loves and what is it that God hates? And have I taken those as a part of my life? These are very helpful questions. These are deep questions. And when you are struggling, you need to ask yourself, maybe one of these two. Do I really love the things that God loves? Do I hate the things that God hates? Let's look at the first one. Having a pure heart means that I love what God loves. If you walk through a study of the Scriptures, walking through this question, what is it that God loves? What does God love? You'll bounce all around the Scriptures. And time would fail us to talk about the righteousness that God loves, the justice that He loves. The Word of God is clear that God loves the Jews, His chosen people, 
But what jumps off the page so often when we look at things that God loves is that God loves people. When you're asking yourself the question, do I love what God loves? You have to answer this question, do I love people? Let me read from you uh, from Psalm number 8, verses 3 through 6. It's a comparison. It's talking about something incredible, and then we have a comparison to it. So Psalm chapter number 8, starting in verse 3, when I looked at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. (laughs) What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under His feet. I don't know if you've had the privilege in the past few weeks of getting a glimpse of God's glory through creation. Maybe a sunrise or a sunset. Maybe a rainbow. Maybe something in that's just so beautiful that's a result of God's handiwork. And Psalm 8 tells us that man is above even that. Well, you and I can take a look around and see people that are all around us. And when I look at a man or a woman, sometimes I don't think, my goodness, that's more amazing than a beautiful sunset. And yet that's what God says. God says that His handiwork of man is something that He loves even more. Anything that God has made that you can name, God loves man more. And you and I, if we're going to be pure in heart, we must love people. When God's people were first out on their own after being in slavery for hundreds of years, do you remember when they went to Egypt and they grew to about two million people and they were in slavery and then God miraculously delivers them? It's just an incredible story. The ten plagues come It's a miracle after miracle, and then God finally delivers them and and parts the Red Sea, and they walk across, and then God kills Pharaoh and his army in the waters there. It's at this time that they are by themselves on their own. For hundreds of years, they haven't had rules that they set. They've had rules that that were placed over them since they were slaves. And so God found a place where He said, you guys need some rules, You need some commandments. And do you remember what God gave them? What He gave to Moses on the top of the mountain? He gave them the Ten Commandments. When we study the Ten Commandments, it's so interesting that we can divide them into two sections. It's not an even five and five, but it's four and six. When we divide the Ten Commandments up, we find that the first four commandments have to do with man's relationship to, do you know, man's relationship to, to God. And then the last six commandments that God gives them when they're going out on their own for the first time have to do with man's relationship to man. Why is it that our default setting is to lie? Why is it, if we can get away with it, that our default setting is to commit adultery or to not honor our parents? How else can man 
will steal and will kill if they can get away with it. Did God really have to write down, thou shalt not kill? Would man really go there if God didn't say not to do it? You see, God gave these commandments because man is looking for happiness, and man looks for happiness in the wrong place. You and I, when we look at what God loves, we are filled with selfishness, with covetousness. And you and I look to find happiness in our life by filling our lives with things that come from stealing, from committing adultery, from hatred. We trace this back to the very first sin that we find in the Bible. The very first sin that we find in God's Word comes from Lucifer. In the book of Isaiah, it talks about Lucifer and how his heart, he was an angel, a leader among angels, and he became puffed up. And Lucifer had a line that he said. He said, I will be like God. And he was punished. He got many angels to go along with him, and a third of them were thrown out of heaven. Sin entered And then when the devil, Lucifer, was observing God's creation of man, he saw Adam and Eve, and he had to make a decision. What can I do? How can I pull them down to my level? I might only get one shot at this. What will be the temptation that I will take to them? And it was the very temptation that he faced himself and that he gave in to. And when the devil in the form of a snake, approached Eve in the garden. He went to her and he said, did God really say that you can't eat that fruit? And he talks to Eve and he shows her this fruit and it was not the idea that that fruit tasted so good that she had to have it. That wasn't the temptation. What was the temptation? If you eat of that your eyes will be opened. And the devil goes on to tell her, you will be like God. Men and women are looking for happiness in the wrong place. And you and I have fallen for the same lie. And that's why God had to tell us, you need to love in the same way that I love. You see, the devil lied. You'll be happy. If you eat of the fruit, if you are like God, he lied about what would make them like God. And I can tell you today what will make you like God. What will make you like God is not getting by stealing, it's not satisfying your lust by committing adultery, it's not adding to your portfolio by coveting and then having that come to fruition. If you want to be like God, which will bring happiness, what you need to do is you need to be, are you ready? You need to sacrifice. You need to be generous. You need to give in a way that it costs you something very, very great. What will make us like God? Nothing except for giving in a sacrificial way, just like God gave His Son for mankind. And this is not natural. 
But what you and I can do on our journey to heaven is each day we can take one more step by loving another. Circumcised in our heart means that we ask, do I love what God loves? And God loves people. You must, and, and, and by the way, anybody can love the lovely people, okay? It's not a challenge to love the lovely people. It's easy to love them. God didn't just look down and send His Son for the lovable people, which none of us really are. God sent His Son for everyone. God sacrificed the ultimate gift for everyone in this world. Do I love what God loves? And then the second question, do I hate what God hates? This is a great question to ask ourselves when we're battling sin. Because when you're battling a sin that you know you shouldn't do and you regret it every time, it's not just that you have a rule and that's why you didn't commit that sin. If you're going to have success with that, you must think of that sin in the same way that God does. I don't love that sin, but I'm not doing it because I've got a rule. We must agree with God. We must hate sin. This is part of us having our hearts circumcised or purified. Having a heart that is pure means I hate what God hates and I want to read verses 16 through 19 of Proverbs 6. When we look at things that God loves, we're, we have to jump all around the Scriptures to find some details of what God loves. Thankfully, in Proverbs chapter 6, we find a list. Boom, 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 boom. Seven things that God hates. So these are things that you should hate. And as I read them, I want for you to look for what they have in common. They're different sins, but they have something in common. Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Here comes the list. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. You and I must hate what God hates if our hearts are going to be purified. There's a main application that we're going to go to here, but I want to give you one side application that for some of you, it might really ring true. This might be so helpful for you in your progressive sanctification as you're trying to be more like God. We oftentimes will continue in sin because we really do not hate that sin. And we don't hate that sin because we've talked ourselves into thinking that it's going to give us some kind of satisfaction. There's some kind of joy that's going to come if I commit this sin. And we have fooled ourselves into thinking that there will be satisfaction and there will be happiness that is there. And the Bible says that there is happiness in sin, but it doesn't stop there. There is happiness and satisfaction in sin for a what? Season. And it is never worth it. 
And when we get to the end, we find ourselves sometimes in a mess, convicted about this sin that we've, that we've struggled with and gone through again. It never satisfies. And if you're only not doing those things because it's written down on a list, you will not have success. You have to, within, in part of circumcising your heart, you have to hate it. We hate murder because God hates murder. And God hates murder because God is life. We hate lying because God hates lying. And God hates lying because God is truth. Learning of the character of God is going to help us to purify our hearts because we'll get to know Him and we'll want to be like Him. That's a, this is a small side application as you battle sin in your life. The main point is this, though. Each of these items that we have looked at here have something in common. And they take us back to our opening story of the Good Samaritan. When we talk about haughty eyes, a lying tongue, feet that run to evil, and all the others that were listed, each of them has one thing in common, and that is how we treat other people. We have to keep at the forefront what the lawyer said. As I read God's Word, it says, love God and love my neighbor. Each of these has in common that God hates it when we do not love our neighbor as ourself. Now, I do not want you to go down a road that's a dangerous road as Christians. Some Christians will mistakenly say, well, it's only Christians that will do good things in this world. That word Samaritan, they got that right from the Bible. And if you try to convince someone too much of that, how many philanthropists' names do you think they can pull out and say, here are billions and billions of dollars that have been given to feed the poor, to put shoes on those kids that don't have shoes in different countries, to build wells for water? And if you try to say that only good things come from Christians, you're going down a road where that you're not going to be able to win that debate. Some people think that it is only people who know Jesus that are generous, and that is not true. But there is something unique about what God says to that lawyer in Luke chapter 10. Go and do the same is what he says. And what he's trying to get him to understand is not only go and do good to neighbors, but I want you to go and I want you to show love and be sacrificial and be generous to someone, are you ready, who does not deserve it. You don't think they deserve it. And then you give it to them. At the end of that story with the lawyer, when Jesus asked the question, which, which one of these three men showed love to his neighbor? Did you notice that the lawyer couldn't even say the good, he couldn't even say the Samaritan? He didn't even say it. Do you know how that ends? He said, the one who showed him compassion was a good neighbor. 
he couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. And you and I have the privilege of showing love to people who we think should be loved on. And you and I have the unique position to show love and be generous to people who do not deserve it. We love what God loves. We hate what God hates. That's how we're purifying our heart. And the best example of this is God Almighty. Because if it was only people in this world that were on the receiving end of forgiveness and grace, not a one of you would be included in that group. None of us deserve eternal life. None of us deserve forgiveness. And so when God says, love me and love your neighbor, what a great question. Who is my neighbor? Who, who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to treat this way? Because anybody can be nice to those who are nice to them. The lawyer knew that there would always be people in his life that he could not love. He couldn't even say the words. It was the Samaritan that was the good neighbor. And at the heart, so many people would say, there are some people in this world that honestly I will never love. And they might not say that out loud, but God's example to us is that you and I did not deserve it. A circumcision of the heart. This is what God wants. Purifying our hearts. How can we be pure? We love what He loves and we hate what He hates. How can we apply this in a direct way to our lives? Well, first of all, resist allowing the culture around you to define who you are. We let God define how we show love to our neighbor. We do not allow ourselves to let the world define what is love. And you can be different. You can be a bright light when you, allow the culture, when you don't allow the culture around you to define what love is. And then finally, stay consistently fixed on God and allow Him to change you from the inside out. That circumcision was a sign to other people, but what God wants from you is the inside and when God has the inside, it's going to make its way out. And you will not be doing good works because you have to do them. You will not be avoiding sin because you have to avoid it. You will do those things because your heart mirrors the heart of God. When we love God and when we love others, we will act in a way that is a constant, daily purifying process of our hearts. Men and women will look and will scratch their heads and they'll say, I understand why you're nice to them. And I kid it, you, you, you get kind of good when you, fill, when you fill up a box and give it to kids in Africa that need some Christmas gifts. I get that. And it will blow their mind when you show love and compassion and generosity to those whom they hate, those whom they think you should hate. This is the example of forgiveness that God has given you and I.
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you first loved us. We can love you because you first loved us. We thank you that we stand as forgiven because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We thank you that you hear our prayer today. Once your enemy, and now we're seated at the table of your blessings. We praise you for that. And God, we can't wait to say thank you in person. We can't wait for face-to-face to see our Savior, Jesus Christ. But Lord, we can say thank you in a very unique way on our journey. By each day allowing our heart to be more like yours. Purifying our hearts by loving what you love. By hating what you hate. We thank you that you allow us to be changed in the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray today. So the piano plays through softly. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus. I want to just reaffirm you're not worthy. You do not deserve forgiveness. You do not deserve eternal life. Every one of us is born a sinner and chooses to sin, and every one of us deserves separation from God forever. And yet God in His mercy loved us so much that He sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And all you have to do is say, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. I confess my sins to you. Thank you for the work of Christ on the cross. He died for your sins, and you can be saved today. If God's leading you that way, just start to pray and allow Him to lead you. Maybe you're here today and you've got no problem loving the lovable. You've got no problem saying no to some of those sins that eh, you really don't have a taste for it anymore. But your heart is not purified like it should be because you do not love all the things that God loves. And you don't hate all the things that God hates. God is looking into your soul today. He knows your thoughts and your heart. And so since he already knows it, why don't you confess any of those sins to him, even in this moment? Amen. Amen.